The content here is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. Please consult a healthcare professional with any medical questions and concerns. If you are experiencing an emergency or need immediate help, call 911. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a therapeutic relationship. I just get so angry. It's hard to sit still. I don't want to be this way. My brain just feels all scrambled. Hi, I'm your co-host, Nikki Shields. And I'm Chad Douglas. Welcome to this episode of Scrambled. We are on episode 23, Processing a Diagnosis. How's it going, Nikki? Well, I'm doing pretty good. It has been a busy week. How are you doing? It is. Yeah, it's been a long... It's one of those where it's like the week has been the longest month of a week or whatever the saying is. Like, it's been a long been month longest this week. week. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. So uh, it's good, but we're now in June. So summer is just about here. And uh, if your kiddo has anxiety or ADHD or something like that, and in school is a trigger, raise my hand, <laughs> kind of breathe for a few weeks and a couple months here just to kind of go, okay, whew, we can get, uh, get settled down. But we also want to keep things going so that uh, if you need some help, we're here for you. That's right. And this time of year, for a lot of kids with mental health issues, this this really this really is kind of easier. You know, there's there's less performance anxiety. I mean, they might have some sports and different activities that go on, but a lot of the things that trigger meltdowns or cause symptoms do do kind of fade away for a couple of months while mm-hmm. while you enjoy the summer months. And so I would say that even like the counselor's perspective, um, this time of year, things do tend to be a little quieter because people are kind of, you know, they're going on their vacations or they're, you know, doing summer activities and it's, there's just a little bit less intensity. Um, but uh, just kind of a life hack. I don't know. Is it a life hack? Sure. Uh, I hear people use that. So you can tell me if that's correct or not. But <laughs> You but- and your sayings. <laughs> Someday I'll figure Two it out. Birds in a hand are better than a <laughs> no. bush on your house. <laughs> Don't throw glass cars at bears. <laughs> um, so, but the summer is a good time to to really work on some skill building. So. Don't drop counseling just because school's yeah. out of session and you don't, you know, you don't need it. There's no pressure for it. That's a really good time for kids to learn some new things and for parents to get some more ideas and support and to kind of, you know, build some skills and strategies for the new school year. So don't back off of the things that you're doing. You know, you, you can, you know, take a break here and there and you can slow down a little bit, but uh, don't skip it all together because what happens is then the fall creeps up real quick. School yeah. starts again and it all just escalates. And um, so if you've been preparing, you know, the the summer months can be really helpful for that. And the kid's likely to focus a little bit more in therapy because they've got that extra stress of school and homework and all that off their plate for a few Mm -hmm. weeks. So they might be able to focus and zero in a little bit more uh, in therapy and make it even more productive. It can also be easier for parents during the summer. If there's something, if you want to try to change your approach or do something different or sort of experiment with how you're responding to things, it's a little bit easier when you're not battling over, you know, music practice and homework and getting to bed on time and all those things that tend to, to be school year focused. And so, you know, my main point is just, you know, use the summer to, to kind of prep up for the next year and build those skills a little bit more. I do want to tease ahead to a couple episodes that we're going to be doing um, in the future. One, we want to kind of do some back to school stuff. So later in the summer, we'll be focusing on that and and ways to help you and your family get more accustomed to back to school uh, with anxiety diagnoses and also traveling with an anxious person because you mentioned summer vacation. And that's one of those episodes we need to get done probably sooner than later because of vacations. Um, Luckily for me, our vacations late in the year. So I have time before I can get some of your great tips on traveling with anxious (laughs) people because I got a couple of those in the fam. 
Yeah, and it, and it really is something to think about, and it's a lot easier when you can plan ahead. So, well, I'll, I'll gather my best ideas for that episode. Excellent. Cool. All right. So processing a diagnosis. So we wanted to do this episode and kind of be like, you know, you've, you've talked to your primary care physician and they seem to think there's some sort of mental illness there, whether it's anxiety, ADHD, maybe autism, a whole different range of things. And so they've either given you the diagnosis or at least said you probably need to refer on to someone else. So we wanted to kind of help you along with that if you're new to this and be like, how do you process this diagnosis and, and where do you go from here? I, you know, and I thought it might help if we talked a little bit about what the diagnostic process looks like. The, the thing is that there's a lot of different paths to receiving a mental health diagnosis of any kind okay. for children or adults. And so sometimes, you know, like you said, your primary care physician will say, I think this is what you're dealing with. And so here's our treatment plan, right? Sometimes they don't feel comfortable dabbling in the mental health world and they would rather you meet with a, a mental health professional. And that may be a counselor. It may be a social worker. It may be a psychologist or a psychiatrist. So there's a lot of different paths that you might take from that mm -hmm. first, you know, recognition that there are some symptoms. And so I don't know that any one path is better than the other. I think, you, you know, you go with what's available in your area, what your insurance will cover, what your provider and the, and the people that, you know, and trust recommend. That's, that's the best bet. Um, and, you know, good, bad, or otherwise, I think starting with your insurance is often a really good idea. Um, yeah. You can call and find out, you know, what are your mental health benefits? Where can you go? Who can you see? And a lot of times people ask, who can diagnose mental illness? Who can apply a mental health diagnosis? And so um, there's there's a, you know, a long list of people that are able to do that. Your primary care physician can do that. A counselor can do that. Um, counselors and therapists, we kind of use those terms interchangeably. Um, sometimes it depends on where you work and what that particular position is called, but they can, they can do that. A social worker can do that. Um, a psychologist definitely can do that. A psychiatrist mm -hmm. can do that. So there, there are a lot of different people who can give you that diagnosis. And in my experience, you know, a, a primary care physician might apply, you know, a general term like anxiety or depression or mood disorder. You know, they might recognize that there's a problem, but they might then refer you on to one of the other types that we've listed to more clarify that diagnosis, to figure out what type of anxiety disorder or what type of mood disorder you're dealing with. And so once you get to a counselor, they're going to, you know, ask you just a million and a half questions and um, do an assessment to determine, you know, what's going on and what the best plan of action would be. Now, if you go to a psychologist, that process is going to look a little different. They're going to do some more involved testing. And a little sneak peek, we're, we're hoping to have a, a psychologist as a guest in a future episode. So they will be able to talk with us a little bit more about what that looks like. And if you go to a psychiatrist, um, it's, it's going to be similar to what a counselor, therapist, or social worker would do. But they're also going to, you know, look at your medical, you know, needs at that time because they are MDs. And so they're, they're going to evaluate, you know social, emotional, biological, physical well-being in order to determine the diagnosis. So that's just, that's just uh, in a nutshell, you know, the different ways that one could get a diagnosis. And then once you get it, the path that you take from there can be a lot of different things too. Mm -hmm. And so a psychiatrist can prescribe medicine, right? They're the yes. only ones of that group that you mentioned that can actually prescribe medicine. Yes. Now there, I believe there may be states where some psychologists have the right to prescribe medicine. We'll right. ask that, you know, when we have our, our psychologist interview, psychiatrists are, are the only ones that can prescribe medication. Well, and primary care physicians can often prescribe your mental health medicines too. Sure. Can the primary care physician, will they know based on the conversation they have with you and your child about whom you should see? Should it be a counselor? Should it be a psychiatrist? Should it be a psychologist? Should it be a mental health therapist? Will they know which way to go? 
I would say most will have a pretty good idea of what they think is going to be best. And again, sometimes it's dependent on where you're located. So maybe you're in a smaller community. And so, mm-hmm. you know, this is the path you go. If it's a larger community, you you have a say in that and you can ask lots and lots of questions. I think um, situations where there's more complex behaviors and emotions and, and characteristics, um, they may recommend a psychiatrist or a psychologist to just get, you know, more in depth. So if you've got a child where you're worried about, you know, potential autism or learning disabilities, or some of those things that, you know, are more than anxiety or depression or ADHD, you, you may want to, you know, get that psychological evaluation or get a psychiatric evaluation because they're going to be able to dig deep and and really kind of look at all the pieces. If a a counselor, a therapist, a social worker is able to diagnose those things, but a lot of times they're going to defer because they want you to get, you know, the best possible evaluation before Mm -hmm. applying a big diagnosis. And I feel like, you know, I want to throw this out here. Diagnosis is not always the most helpful thing. We need it for insurance purposes. We need it to make sure that we can, you know, afford to pay for treatment. Um, Oftentimes it's needed in order for medication to be prescribed. Mm -hmm. But if it doesn't help dictate like what treatment should look like, it's not super helpful. So if you're looking at kids and, and you think about a child that has anxiety, an anxiety diagnosis, it's really looking at how that anxiety is impacting that child and figuring out what their need is. Do they need skills? Do they need, you know, does the parent need training? Like what's going on? The diagnosis itself doesn't necessarily answer the question of what should we do? Now, there are specific diagnoses that do have a more clear cut treatment plan. So like a child who's diagnosed with OCD might be recommended to do a particular type of treatment that we know works for OCD, whereas a child with social anxiety disorder or generalized anxiety might take a slightly different path. And so you know, my the main reason I say that is I don't want families to get too caught up in diagnosis. It's good to know. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's really good to know what your child has because that's going to help you figure out where you should go next and what you should do and and how to approach it. But a diagnosis is a you know a, it's a man made label to describe a set of characteristics, and so it's not it's not who your child is. It's not everything. It doesn't it doesn't mean that you know anything is is inherently wrong. It just it just means that you've identified some problems that need to be addressed. From a parent's standpoint, I liked it because then you kind of not that I want to say you had to explain your child, but it was a lot easier approaching teachers and coaches and other parents of saying like, this is, this is what's going on. And this is why you might see us act this way or he or she act that way. Or it's like the discipline thing of just because they're in your eyes, misbehaving doesn't mean that they're making a bad choice. It's a matter of that they're anxious. Something's making them anxious and that fight or flight mechanisms kicking Mm -hmm. in. And this is how they're handling it. They're either fleeing or they're staying to fight. And Mm -hmm. that fight is that so-called bad behavior that you're seeing. So I found it helpful for me, I guess, to be personal and be like, I liked it. But but that opens the door to my very first point when it comes to processing a new diagnosis. And that is that for many families, it is such a relief to have a name. Mm -hmm. It gives you something to talk about. It gives you something Mm -hmm. to research. It gives you something like you can you can sort of harness that and be like, okay, now I know what to do. Now mm-hmm. I know what this is. Now I know what we're dealing with. And it's validating because if you've been struggling with your child for, you know, weeks or months in, in, and now you know why, oh my gosh, is that a relief for so many people. Yes. And so I don't want to undercut the value of a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say, don't get caught up in a title. Don't, don't think of your child in terms of, you know, my child is, you know, like, is there anxiety diagnosis? That's not the case, but having it does help. And it does give you kind of a starting point. And so anytime I'm working with families and, you know, we're, we're identifying a specific diagnosis, you know, we spend some time on, you know, having this, this label, having this defining 
you know, name is going to help you in this way. And here's, here's some things you can look into that, you know, can help you figure out what to do next. And so that's, that's what it's good for. Um, I just, I don't like to see people get too caught up in what it is. We know anxiety yeah. is anxiety, right? Right. Well, I have somebody in my life that found out over the last year that their child has autism and mm -hmm. he's six. And so it was, and they even said it to me, like, he's the same child he was yesterday before the diagnosis, but now we know different therapies and different yes. ways to help him yep. live with it. So, and you know, April was autism acceptance month. And I think mm -hmm. 2022 is the first year for that. It's been autism awareness month, but then oh, the wow. language was changed. So it wasn't, yes, we're aware that autism exists, but now let's work more on accepting folks with, with autism. Yeah. Uh -huh. So it's really a nice cool. little change. Yeah. And, and a, autism diagnosis is a, it's, it is a particular diagnosis where it is important to get it because that opens the door to other resources and yeah, access to other other tools and services that might not other be otherwise be there. So yeah, I, I, I don't want to say that uh, diagnosis is bad. I am saying right. that like, it is not probably the most important thing and not something you have to spend a lot of time on. If you get, you know, somebody says, here's your diagnosis. Okay, go use that to use, you know, get some more information and figure out a game plan. But um, it is it is not the heart and soul. So what advice do you have for parents then who are sitting there in the room and they do get a diagnosis, whether it's anxiety, OCD, um, depression, ADHD, autism? I mean, first and foremost, give yourself time. You yeah. do not have to be okay with it. You do not have to like it. You could be mad about it. You can be mad at the person who just gave you, you know, the diagnosis or applied the diagnosis. You can be, you know, mad at the universe if you need to be. Um, you, it, it's sort of like, you know, when you lose someone, there's a process that you go through in your grief. Um, accepting a diagnosis is kind of kind of the same. It's, it's not exactly the same. It's clearly different than grief, but there are, but there I get are your steps point. to it. Yeah. There are steps to it and everybody grieves differently. So mm -hmm. everyone should accept a diagnosis differently. Yes, that's exactly it. So, so first things first is ask questions while you can, while you're there, ask the person that's talking with you, you know, anything you can, whatever comes to mind. But then when you leave, just, just sit with it and, you know, get a notebook. And every time you have a question or a concern, jot it down. Um, you know, this is a place where Google can be helpful and harmful as we've talked mm -hmm. about before. So you, you can find some really great information out there, you know, something like looking up generalized anxiety disorder, you might be just pleasantly surprised at how cool the resources are when you look up that term, but you want to be careful not to, you know, seek information that stresses you out or, or you know, makes you feel more concerned about what's going on. The big thing though is give yourself time, you know, and yeah. some parents want to know, do we tell our child about this diagnosis? You know, if they're not in the room there when you're talking about it, you know, do we tell them? And, and I think, you know, that is a very hard question just to answer in general, but like it's child specific. So most kids, especially kids with anxiety, you know, they're, they're, it helps if they know, because now they understand why they're struggling. And so mm -hmm. um, I'm generally a fan of saying, yes, this is what this is called. And this is why you're having this hard time. And this is what we're going to do to work on it. Um, but there may be reasons for some kids why them knowing isn't the best. And so you have to talk with your professionals about that, your doctor, your, your counselor, whoever you're working with. Yeah, that's a good thought. I know with us, um, and it took a little while while brain development happened, but as my son got older, then it was like once he got upset, he could tell us he's anxious instead of just blowing up. It's like he was able to put into words because he knew he had that as a diagnosis. So that was <laughs> helpful. We also, my wife and I were on the, the other end of things when we got the spectrum. We were excited because then mm -hmm. it was like, okay, finally we have something. We have a name mm -hmm. for this monster. Now let's figure out yep. what we can do to help. Yep. And that is that is helpful for adults and kids alike, having a name for it. And, you know, if you've ever had, you know, a health or mental health problem that you just you just didn't know what it was for any length of time, you know how important it is to get 
get a name and, or, you know, get a, get a label, get a diagnosis mm-hmm. and go, oh gosh, that makes so much sense. And I'm so glad to finally have an answer. Um, but that's when the work begins. And so, you know, step one is, is give yourself time, ask questions, look for information, but just sit with it and allow yourself to feel whatever you feel. If you're sad because you don't want your child to struggle, Hey, welcome to the club, right? Nobody, yeah. nobody wants their child to have to go through a hard thing. If you're mad because this isn't fair and that's not what you signed up for. Okay. That's all right too. Like, you know, sit with whatever it is have your feelings, right? You have big feelings too. And then you'll know when it's time to do more with it because the emotional part will have passed. You'll have moved from the blue zone to the green and you'll be able to start to think about, okay, so what do we need to do? You know, what is, if this is what's going on, what does my child need from me? What supports do they need at school? Um, Should we be seeing, you know, a doctor about medication? What should, you know, and you can start to think more logically about what are next steps. Um, and that's where, you know, at that point it's, it's communicating with your providers, whoever you're working with, you know, get their input, ask lots and lots and lots of questions. You know, we could do six episodes on, should my child take medication or should my child have therapy? You know, those are, those are hard questions. And and the key is just give yourself time to get the information you need, ask the questions you have and, and, you know, sort it out, but take your time with that. And it's also going to be very family specific, but at what point, and I guess it's going to be when you're comfortable, but at what point do you start sharing that diagnosis with close family, close friends, and then it, it kind of ripples out to where mm-hmm. other people who might need to know, know. Yeah. I think you, you just kind of like you described, you start with the, the people you're closest to, the people that it would benefit your child the most that they know. So, you know, maybe close relatives that you spend a lot of time with, um, and then, you know, moving kind of out from there. So, you know, maybe it becomes neighbors, maybe, you know, teachers, coaches, music teachers, anybody that's, you know, working with a child, any setting where the child is having a hard time, that adult should probably be looped in. You know, I know that um, after my child was diagnosed with ADHD, we had, you know, a pretty heated discussion about should we tell the school or not? You know, and Mm. we both had a pretty strong emotional reaction to the idea that if the school knew our child had ADHD, they might treat her differently or interpret her behavior differently. I don't know that they would or would not have, but we did not share it right away. Um, but when we noticed that she was, you know, having a little trouble in some areas, we thought, oh, you know, it might not hurt. So then we did. And, you know, we made it very clear that, you know, we, we were aware and we were working with it and that, that was where we were. Um, and so far so good. We, we've not had anybody try to tell us anything different than that, but it, it, we, we had to really talk about it and we both had a different opinion on the subject. And so, mm-hmm. um, we just gave ourselves time to get through it and then we knew what needed to do needed to be done, you know, pretty quickly after that. Yeah, we had to, I mean, we would have been stupid not to because <laughs> 85 to 90% of his outbursts were happening at school. Yep. So yep. once we got the diagnosis, it was like, okay, teacher mm-hmm. and staff, here's what we've learned. Now we can, as a team yep. work at what's best for this child. So that was good. What happens if you get some pushback and I'll throw in like family, if you mm-hmm. get some, some family members are like, ah, pff, you know, that's, that's not ADHD. He just needs to be, or she needs to be disciplined a little harder or right. whatever. What happens if you get pushback from, from the fam? So, I mean, I think it depends on your family system and what your relationship is like with, with your, your family members who are saying things like that. Um, they're going to need time just like you did. You know, I mm-hmm. think in our last episode, I, I told a story of, you know, my mom and I kind of discussing, you know, what one had beha- seen two different views of the same behavior. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we got through that real well and, you know, haven't looked back and that's been great. But I know for some families, some people just aren't going to see it. They're not going to yeah. get it. They're not going to care that, you know, about this newfangled diagnosis thing that we've got going on, but, but some are. And so I think give it time, you know, those that, those that don't get it, you know, they're not going to get it and that's okay, but you can educate, you know, this, I love to, you know, provide printed information, you know, print out an article or print out, you know, information or books or, you know, watch. I bet videos. you're a hit at parties. Yeah. I'm a, 
Yeah. Here's an article for you. <laughs> oh, the nerds here. Okay, we got to go. Party's over. Uh, yeah, it's, it's I'm, I'm a good time. Um, but with sharing information that they can then process and digest on their own and decide how they feel about. But ultimately, it's your child, you know, and, and yeah. if, if they disagree with the path that you've taken, that's that's for them to deal with. You don't, you don't owe them anything. And so yeah. that can be really, really tough though, because if you're close with your, you know, parents, the grandparents, aunts, uncles, other relatives, and they're, they're pushing back and saying, no, nah, I don't think it, well, okay. That they can have that opinion. That's fine. It's not yeah. up to them. I know some people who have talked about it and, and told family members and in discussion, it was like, gosh, I think I had anxiety as a kid and, and just didn't realize it after they've learned stuff and mm -hmm. read some of your articles that you've Gave Push down their throat, yeah. For, for a party favor. <laughs> yeah, I stuff stockings with articles too. I'm like, here, look, some information. Yay, happy holidays. Oh, yeah. My video doorbells were invented. Here comes Nikki again. Everybody hi. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the kid and whether you're sharing that diagnosis with them or not. And if they react, because you told the adults they're allowed to have their feelings and react, that kid's going to have a reaction as well. They're allowed that reaction. But yes, what advice can you give parents to go if it's a if it's a, a completely kind of reaction to where it's like, oh, I didn't didn't see that coming. So and, and that's where it is important to know your child and to to kind of, you know, guesstimate based on previous reactions to things, how they might handle it. Many kids at this point have known something was different or that they were having a hard time and it's been openly talked about for a long time. And so they're just as relieved as their parents to find out that this is called something. I mean, one of my greatest joys in my work is, is watching a child, you know, wrap their brain around the idea that anxiety is a real thing that other people mm -hmm. deal with and that it's not just them and they're not alone. And so I would say many, many kids benefit from knowing and are going to be very welcoming of that information. But if you've got a child whose self-esteem is low and maybe they're doing a lot of comparison or they, you know, they're already really hard on themselves, you have to kind of be careful with that. And so mm -hmm. you want, you, you can wait, give it time. You can be very, I would say fact-based about it. Like, hey, this is what this is. Just like if you were saying to a child, okay, you, you know, we've x-rayed your arm and it's broken mm -hmm. and we're going to put this cast on it and this is how it will heal. And then after six weeks, we're going to take the cast off. You know, you can take that very literal, logistical, fact-based approach to describing mental illness as well. You can say, huh. yeah, good idea. you know, you worry a lot and that's because your brain is on high alert and it has a hard time you know, calming down and telling you that everything's all clear. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk to this, you know, person who is very, you know, skilled and works with kids who have this problem all the time. And she's going to teach you or he's going to teach you how to handle this. And it's, you know, and, and you're going to be so confident at the end of this. And so it's, just, you know, you just, you kind of take that same approach with kids. And oftentimes they're like, oh, cool. You know, and, and the other thing, unrelated to diagnosis, kids in general, they handle things a little bit better than we do because they don't attach the emotional garbage and, and baggage to things that we do. So like, even when you, you know, I told my, my daughter that um, her grandmother had passed away. I, I like was physically sick thinking about what this conversation was going to be like. And then, you know, I tell her and she's like, okay, can we go get some fruit loops? You know, like for <laughs> her, it was just, of course she was sad, but like she was also five. And so right. her ability to like understand what that meant, that, that, that grief, that loss is something she's processed over time. And so in the moment, wasn't that big of a deal to her? It's, it's you know, several years since, and we can still, you know, have pretty important conversations about this person in her life. But um, kids just don't attach, like, they don't know the stigma yeah. of mental illness. They don't know that having this, you know, is like going to 
possibly make their lives harder. That There's just no, nothing attached to that for them. And so a lot of times they're like, okay, you know, can I have a fruit snack? You know? Yeah. So. Well, I like the way you describe the the broken arm thing in the cast and then saying like, we're going to go talk to this person who's very skilled and everything. What if you get defiance from the kid? Like, I'm not going to do that. I don't need to do that. So that is really, really tough because, you know, all you want to do is help that kid. And, you know, knowing that just being in your room, being in your office is stressing them out. That That's a that's a load to carry, but, but they um, have to buy into it too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's big, it's, big time. Mm-hmm. And, and so what I can say to that is, you know, you, how you present it can make a difference. And so, you know, if you've got a child who, you know, they go to their doctor, they go to their dentist and they do okay with that, you know, don't put a lot of extra into your description of what you're about to do. We're just going to go meet with somebody who, you know, who works on feelings, or we're going to go meet with somebody who, you know, can help kids with this kind of thing. Like, don't, don't belabor it. Don't make a big deal of it. If the therapist is skilled with children, they're going to know how to try to engage, but they're also going to kind of guide you through it too. So even if the kid is like, I refuse to come in the room, well, okay, you can sit in the waiting room. That's cool. I'm going to talk to your mom and dad, right? We'll be out in just a little bit. Like, that's okay. The main thing, like kids need to know that parents are trusting that clinician or that therapist mm-hmm. or that doctor in order to get comfortable. So especially an anxious child who's like, uh-uh, that doesn't, that looks scary and right. dangerous to me. I'm not going in there. When mom and dad go, yeah, I really like this person. And they see that child or see their parents, you know, relaxed and calm and engaging with that person. A lot of times they'll warm up. There is a period in time where kids start to go, I don't want to be different than my peers. I mm-hmm. don't want there to be something wrong with me. And I'm not going to t- go talk to that person because that means there's something wrong with me. And so there's a thin line there. And part of it is going, okay, well, we're not going to push because the worst thing in the world would be to put a bad taste in their mouth for therapy, right? Because that might be something that they could benefit from later. So we don't want to ruin it. So we want to give them some say in it, but, but also, a child who's anxious is a child and they're not able to, you know, make the decisions about what they might need long-term. So we don't want to like put it all on them. Um, So part of it is finding the right fit too, you know, and I've, I've had kids that, you know, we worked with them for a while and we just can't get past that, but then they meet somebody different and it's, it's great. And they're willing to come in. And so I would say that if you have a lot of refusal and you've tried and you just can't make it happen, try a different therapist because sometimes it's all about personality or sometimes it's even the room. You know, if a child walks in and a room is cool and it's full of Legos and one kid thinks they're like, oh, okay, this is cool. I don't mind. Well, and sometimes humans just click. Yes. And if you do, if you have a, a, a therapist or a doctor or whomever and you, you just don't click, you just, the personalities don't click, then yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Different road yeah. yeah. And I promise therapists don't take that personally because we know that. We know that going in, not everybody's going to like us and, and that's okay. And, you know, I, I saw a statistic once that, uh, the best therapists, like, so highly skilled have, have proven to be effective, can only hope to connect with and help approximately 70% of the people who come into their office. So that means 30% Hmm. of their clients aren't a good fit for them. And those are the best therapists, right? So to me, you know, that means it's okay to try again. If you don't, if you don't feel like it's clear as a parents, if you don't feel like that child is getting what they need, you don't feel like it's a good match, then it's okay to try again. And even if it is a good match, sometimes you have to change because maybe this therapist was really good for this part, but now that child is aged up a little bit and they need somebody who can approach another piece of the problem from a different direction. So there's a lot of different types of um, mental health treatment. So you just, it's okay to try different things. But when it, taking it back to your original question of refusal, that is tricky. And and part of it is just giving it time and trying it out and taking it easy and, you know, kind of, hey, we're going to do this. And when we're done, 
we'll we'll go home and watch that movie you want to watch, but we got to do this first. And a lot of times just getting them there is all you need to kind of get their buy-in. I know when we first started down this journey, Nikki, it was it was it was a hard pill to swallow when and I, I've said before, my son's first grade teacher was the first one who noticed something. She thought it was ADHD because he was being fidgety in class. So mm-hmm. she brought it up to my wife and I at a parent teacher conference and just said, I think you should have him test for ADHD. And my initial reaction, now that you've said I'm allowed to feel feelings, I can say this, was I was I don't know if it was hurt, but it was kind of like a what? What? Like, I don't, I don't think so. Thankfully though, we followed through with her advice and ended up getting the anxiety diagnosis. But I, I guess it's just to tell parents it's okay to have have those initial feelings because it's everybody wants their child, I guess, to be perfect, even though we know that no one is perfect. And I think that takes it back to several other conversations we've had about as parents, we often feel like we'll be judged or we failed our child or we're doing something wrong our fault, you know? And so, I mean, we had the same thing, you know, when, when I found out, like, essentially I found out that her, our, our oldest first grade teacher, um, was doing a lot of accommodations for her to, to help her stay focused and was allowing her to do things a little differently because it helped her. And I didn't realize she needed that. Like I, it was my first child. So, you know, she was high energy and I just assumed that's how kids were. So even doing what I do for a living, it didn't occur to me that like what I was seeing was maybe off the charts. Um, But when I found (laughs) out that like, you know, she was being accommodated and that going into another classroom, you know, it might, that accommodation might not come as easily um, that we maybe should look into it. I was like, oh no, I think you're wrong. Yeah, I don't, yeah. you know, I don't, but, but she was right. And, mm-hmm. and I appreciate everything she did for my child. And then the the help that she gave us along the way, because um, it was hard and it, and, and I think there's a lot of emotion there. It's disappointment. It's sadness. It's um, anger, even like, no, no, that can't yeah. be. I didn't sign up. Yeah. This is hard. Yeah. Yeah. God bless first grade teachers, huh? Right. They, they all teachers, I guess. But yeah. Yeah. But the first grade teachers are the ones that tend to to start to really see it because this is when kids are having to sit still more and this is when kids are having to interact more and um you're you're just noticing it. And first and second grade is when anxiety starts to starts mm-hmm. to kind of pick up because that's how the brain is developing. And so yeah, they they tend to see it. And so I, I just to that, it's just give yourself time to process. It's okay to be upset, it's okay to have those feelings. Um, but it, it won't always feel that way because you know, now you can say, Well, I look back and finding out there was a diagnosis made my life easier and it made yeah. his life easier. And now we can, we can move forward with that. So um, just, just know that it's a process and give yourself time. And I think that's some good advice too. And we've given it before of like not being defensive. Mm-hmm. They're, they're there to help your child too. And mm-hmm. going back even to the counselor or whatever, if they're not, not a right fit and the, and the counselor breaks up with you, they still have your child's best interest in mind. So it's not getting that, put that defensive wall down and I am captain defensive. So I feel like I can say that. <laughs> like, your, your superpower is defensive. That is my superpower. Defensiveness awesome. and holding grudges. Mm, man, <laughs> if there was a cape and an emblem for that, I would have uh, it. We'll have to unpack that in another episode. Okay. Yeah. Let's call that one Chad's episode. <laughs> If you like what you're hearing, we ask that you share this podcast with your friends and family. We're on uh, Facebook at Scrambled Podcast. We're also uh, on online with a website at scrambledpodcast.com. And we always like to ask you, uh, getting to the point where we're on our knees begging to rate and review us on Apple <laughs> Podcasts, because what that does is it just moves us kind of up the podcast charts and um, gets more eyes and ears on the podcast. And that's what our goal was in starting this podcast was to start that conversation. And that conversation continues with you. 